All right. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings you have for us. We thank you for your mercy and grace. We just ask that as we come into your presence tonight, Lord, you said we're two or three together. You'd be there. And so we know you're here, Lord. You're listening to us. You're watching us. Uh, You have complete sovereignty over everything. And we trust that, Lord. We trust that without a question mark. No question. And we thank you, Lord, for sparing Sister Mary. We thank you for... Uh, the miracles you're going to be doing over in the mountains, Lord, to, to get those people to just draw closer to you and to trust more in you as they see your hand unfold. We thank you for your love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to uh, Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to back up to verse 14, 13. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to pick up in 14. We left off in 13. But let's read 13 again, and then we'll go on into uh, the rest of this chapter. Uh, A lot of things to glean from tonight, so uh, let he that hath an ear, let him hear. And as Jesus said in one of the Gospels, let this stuff sink down into your ears. You need to hear this. And if I I forgot to say it Sunday, but everybody that uh, has any ear to this ministry needs to listen to last Wednesday. Uh, If you were out or about, or if you didn't get a chance, listen to last Wednesday. And I'm kind of feeling like maybe this will be the same way. Let's go to uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 13. This is what God said to, to His people. He said, I will punish her for the days of Baal to which she burned incense. So God's punishing them for their idolatry, their allegiance. She decked herself with earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. So God's comparing His people's straying and unfaithfulness like that of a marriage. That's what he's been doing with this book. And he went after, and he, uh, and went after her lovers, but she forgot, but me she forgot, says the Lord. And that's where we ended last week. But me she forgot. And God's talking about His people here. He's talking about individuals, the group, whatever. He says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. After he's judged her, he's going to offer her consolation. I will give her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor as a door of hope. God's going to do things to start building that hope back up. And that's what's going to have to happen over there in the mountains, you know. Uh, And it has to happen in our lives, right? Do things where... Uh, people's hope starts getting built back up. She shall sing there and in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. It's, kind of, it's that moment where you uh, quit being religious and get back to your first love. The Lord spoke something to me years ago when I was... Uh, probably too caught up in ministry instead of him. And he said to me, he said, you don't belong to the church, you belong to me. I said, I hear you. And uh, then he goes on to say, he says, for I will take uh, her mouth, for I will take from her mouth, let me back up, I got a little ahead of myself. So these vineyards are going to bring her hope. She's going to sing like being starting afresh again all over. And it shall come in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. And that's relationship. See, You may have 
come into the kingdom with some level of fear, right? When, you, when the reality that we're going to split hell wide open comes, that puts a little fear in any of us. But as you walk with the Lord and you understand His goodness and you start leaning on His nature and His character, you go from just calling Him Master to calling Him Friend. Now, Jude says that some saved by with compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, bring it, pulling them out of the fire. So both of those messages are needful. In fact, when I was growing up, it was like a badge of honor for guys as they would... This, this guy, they said, he preaches hellfire and brimstone, and this guy, he just preaches love, and, <clears throat> and they're both wrong. Because in Jude, it's one messenger with two messages. So for a preacher or a minister to be balanced, he has to preach both sides of the message. Jesus talked twice as much about hell as he did heaven. So it's real, and there's a reality. So uh, a preacher that takes pride in being a hellfire and brimstone or one that says, I would never touch that, I just preach love, they're both out of balance. You've got to share the whole message. And uh, he says, in that day, I'll, I'll, he said, I'm going to take from their mouth the names of Baals, and they'll be remembered by their name. And he says, uh, in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the field. Think about that. And we know that day's coming where the lamb will lay down with the lion. So when you, say, when you see the phrase, in that day, I think I meant this, mentioned this last week, he's, he's referring to the end of time. Because Israel is not there. They're, they're not anywhere like that. They're threatened on every side. Uh, so, but that day's coming, and I believe it's coming soon. And he says, with the, with the birds of the air, with the creeping things on the ground, the bow and the sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth. And all this is confirmed a little more extensively in Isaiah when he talks about the millennial kingdom. Uh, and he says, to make them lie down safely. They don't lie down safely right now. They're get, they were getting bombed just a couple of days ago by terrorist groups in Israel. So they don't, they don't have that moment. They, they, they put their children on the school bus knowing that their school buses have been blown up by terrorists before. They go into pizza parlors knowing that those pizza parlors have been destroyed with terrorists before. So it's a different world than what we live in. Our world's here in America's gotten worse. We can all testify to that. Uh, but... We know certain communities are worse than others, but Israel is eight miles across at the very top, the smallest. It's not much bigger than Maryland, the whole state, so that, you know, anybody's rocket can shoot into Israel from the border. You don't have to be America or anything to do that. When I, I have meetings in Chicago every year with the Jews, Orthodox primarily, because we partner and work together, uh, and when I first started going there, they said, don't go below 26th Street because they can spot a foreigner a mile away. And you're a foreigner if you don't belong in that neighborhood. They can tell by the way you're looking around, the way you're driving and whatever. Uh, but, I, but the last time I went, they said, don't go below 55th Street. That's how far it's crept in. So evil's getting worse. I mean, we know. Uh, and it's bad in our own communities. I mean, the, there's... The per capita drug rate is probably just as high in towns like ours and even in the mountains as it is in the big city. It's just rampant how bad things have gotten very quickly. 
But there's a day coming, and that's what we have to look forward to. If He said, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and just loving, mercy, loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So he's talking about this restoration day that's coming for Israel, but these principles still work for us. God is a restorer. If you've been away from God, somebody's listening to me tonight somewhere in the States or around the globe or... If you've been away from the Lord, he's, He wants you to come back. He's like, that's why the message of the prodigal is in the Bible. He wants you. He, the Bible says in Peter, it's not His will that any would perish. So no matter where you've been, what you've done, the Lord wants you to come home. The Bible's clear about hell was not created for us. It was created for Satan and his angels, the ones that sided with him. So God doesn't want us to wind up there, but if we don't choose to follow Him, and surrender our lives, that's, that's going to be our destiny as well. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. So God's saying, I'm going to start blessing you again. I'm going to start, the earth's going to be kind to you. The most important thing in your life is, your, is putting God first, doing His will. It affects your spiritual life. It affects your health. It affects your wealth. It affects everything. What's the first thing God said when Adam and Eve fell? He said, he, the first thing He said to them was the physical side of it, right? He said, you're going to die physically. So don't think sin don't affect your mind, your spirit, and your body. In fact, the apostle is very clear that certain sins are sins against the body, your own natural body. So sin don't just affect your spiritual realm. Sin affects the, the chemical makeup in your mind and everything. You cannot involve yourself into the spirit realm. Listen, the power's not in the physical realm. That's been proven over and over. The power is in the spiritual realm. And those demons, they can wreak havoc in people's lives if we give them entrance into our lives. They can even possess people. They can even, and I've cast out demons and, and seen this with my own eyes. They can talk through people. And it sounds just like the, the movies got it from real, real events. That's how they learn how to do that. And so the devil is a real opponent, and he wants to infect every region. You are a triune vessel, and the only way that, that you can be differentiated, according to James, is through the Word of God. It's the only thing that can separate the soul and the spirit. So the realm of the spiritual affects every part of our being, good or bad. It affects, the, the Bible talks about how uh, having a merry heart. It's good for your bones. So you, and, and the Bible says a man's heart will show on his face. So your body is, and your physical body and, and your mental realm and your spiritual realm is all affected to some degree by sin. That's why death came in. What, what caused death to come in? Sin. Adam and Eve were going to live forever. But sin showed up. Now we all are products of that, right? We, we live through the fallout of that. But just to think that sinning is only a spiritual issue is foolish. It affects everything. Paul said, he talks about that in, in Corinthians, because the Corinthians were fleshly people. And he spent a lot of time saying, you're not just, 
hurting your spiritual life, but you're working against your own physical body by sinning. Has anybody, and I, and, and I, I don't want to be uh, just hard on one issue, but is any, and I read these, it's been a few months ago, the statistics that the homosexual community has put out on themselves. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. The suicide rate. And, and the average male that's in that community lives to be in their 30s. And now we have monkeypox that's come from that community primarily. The problem is sin don't stop. It'll run off. And I mean, you've got children now that have AIDS, even though we've traced that back to that community from years ago. And it's not politically correct to say, you know, where something starts anymore, but that's the truth. And so we, sin has fallen, but it's not just that community. Sin falls out in heterosexuals. It falls out in whites, blacks. Sin, sin does not discriminate. It don't discriminate. And we are the products of sin being able to slip in the garden and start cutting life short. Now, we have an answer to that. That's salvation, of course. Now, look at the next line. He says, Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. So what happened? Israel turned on God. Part of their punishment was to be kicked out. God punished His people. and whether God's fair because that was His chosen people and He gave them everything. And he punished them probably as severe or more severe than any people group has ever been in the world. But he kicks them out. But he has a purpose in that. It's part of their punishment, part of their drawing them in. If you get to the New Testament church, the reason there is uh, ecumenical or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <clears throat> Excommunication. The reason those are biblical principles, they're not designed to ostracize somebody. They're designed for somebody to be outside and realize what they're missing and come back. That's, that's the way God works. That's why he's saying this to Israel. He's saying, uh, yeah, I'm going to punish you. This whole chapter 2 is mostly about punishment till the end. And then he said, but I'm going to bring you back. And so God is that way. He, he does things to draw us in. But when he scattered, when he sold his people in the earth, they took the things of God with them. And I've been finding out where Israel's traveled, and I'm not ready to stand in this pulpit and talk too much about it yet, but i got my hands on some material that is rare uh, about where God's people have wound up. And, 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 and they've done a really good job of following them and wherever God's hand is blessing them. So they were sown in the earth for a reason. They had... The oracles of God, our Messiah, our Savior is Jewish. And 90-some percent of your Bible was written by Jews. They have it. They, they had everything. And the only nation that comes close to being that way is us. And when we get to chapter 4, and we're going to get there tonight, uh, you just need to think, I'm, I'm reading a newspaper article about America here in chapter 4. I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy, and they will, they will say to those who were not my people, then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. So what's happened? Since God scattered Israel, since he, they've been, they just came home since in 1948, so they've been scattered with the things of God. 
And what has happened from that? People that were not his people became his people, right? We have Nigerians, we have South Americans, Brazil. You used to go on and on and on. So there's more Jewish blood scattered in the world than we know. And God had a purpose in mind for that. It bothers me when I see the New Testament church uh, start uh, belittling or making light of Israel. I'm going to say this as loud, or not as loud, I, could, I can say it louder. I'm not going to say it as loud as I can. I'm going to say it as impactful as I can. If God does not keep His promises to Abraham, how can we expect Him to keep them to us? But I'm telling you, God has kept His... If you want to know if the end of time's coming, all you got to do is look at two dates, 1948 and 1967, and that's when the hourglass turned over. Yeah, you, you can argue with people, well, they had earthquakes back. Yeah, fine, argue all you want to, but 67 and 48 hadn't happened. That's the game changers. And earthquakes have went up, by the way. And look at disease, pestilence. I mean, let's just be honest. America has been so gifted at dealing with those kinds of things. There had to be some level of we weren't ready for stuff. But it's going to get worse. He said there's going to be pestilences, not singular but plural and they just keep they're starting to slowly just pop up aren't they but that's part of the end of time and and so God's gonna take care of us all we gotta do is follow him and when our number's up why would you want to stay here have you watched the news in the last six months why would you want to stay here uh if you're ready to go, obviously. Then the Lord, look at chapter 3. Then the, this, is a, this is a short chapter. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman, the prophet's talking, who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. He's getting commands from God to do something that's not conducive. You wouldn't do that, right? But he's showing a picture of his love, right? He says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and committing adultery. He said, Go right in the middle of it and love her. And, and most Christians would have done what Peter said, not so, Lord. <laughs> They're going to do this. You think you've been asked to do something difficult? Put yourself in Hosea's shoes. Ezekiel's shoes. Uh, he says, go with her. She's committing adultery uh, just like the love of the Lord. So he's making a comparison here. For the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of pagans. And this is a big deal for pagans making this for their uh, events. So I brought her for myself. So I bought her for myself 15 shekels of silver and one-on-one half omers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For well, the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince. So we read how she'd already done this, right? And, she's, and he's bringing her back. One of the most frustrating things I've done in my life is to have my house broken into with a guy I was trying to win to the Lord. And he broke into my house and stole a lot of my stuff. And... Uh, I had to go to the pawn shop and buy it back. That's a bad feeling to pay for something twice. Now let's think about God. 
He created us in His image. We're His creation. We don't belong to Satan. We're His property. But He had to buy us back. God had to go to the Satan's pawn shop and buy us back. Because we were all in His pawn shop. You may have been sitting on a shelf up there with a a bad saw blade on you, but you were in the pawn shop. You remember what the king of Sodom said after Abraham went and rescued Lot? You know what he told Abraham? He said, keep the stuff. I want the nefesh. That's how it says it in the Hebrew. I want the souls. The devil ain't trying to steal your motorcycle. He can't use a motorcycle in hell. He wants you so. In fact, there's a lot of deception around being successful. That's one of the big things that people who get very successful. How many Christian singers have we watched leave the stage and go to the world? Starting with Elvis. Amy Grant. On and on and on. So many of them. Alice Cooper. His dad was a preacher. And he was crazy. I think he's been saved. I think he got saved. Him and Glenn Campbell were big friends, and Glenn Campbell got saved. So God had to buy us back. Now think how how frustrating would that be to you? To have to go to the pawn shop and buy something back. So not only does he go get his wife, most of us, if we were going to get our wife... We'd have kicked the door down and said, you all better shut up. I'm taking my wife and we're leaving. He paid for her. The reason I'm stressing this, that's how extreme it is for you and I to be saved. And I don't know, you know, God's, He don't think like we do. I know that, but when He decided, before we were even created, He decided to save us. I mean, that's awesome. The Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world because God had already decreed it. And God lives outside of time, so whatever He speaks is done. And so He he gave us the greatest thing He had. Let's be honest. Sometimes people have asked us for things and we've gave them the lesser of the two, haven't we? Take that, son. He won't cut the grass or nothing. (laughs) We've, we've, we've give people, I'm not talking about nefesh or other people, but things we've had, right? We've gave them the lesser of the two. God didn't do that. Peter Lord, who travels with Bob Mumford and all those guys, Peter Lord said he was fly, getting ready to fly out of Florida and said he looked on the lottery thing and said $80 million was the jackpot. And he said, so he started talking to the Lord on the way to the airport. He said, Lord, if you give me that, I, he started telling God all the things he would do with that. And he said, the Lord spoke to him. He said, if I thought... Money would save people. I would send gold instead of my son. So God gave us his best. He went to the extreme. He bought us back out of the pawn shop. And we were already his property. That's love. And then he says, uh, for the children of Israel... 
He says, I bought her for myself with all this stuff. I said, you shall be with me and I'll stay with you. You're not going to play the harlot for the children of Israel. Bide many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice, sacred pillar, without ephod or terraform. And that day came, right? I mean, they've been gone. And they're just now trying to get all that stuff back, right? They're trying to get the priesthood ready for when they build their temple. They've been doing that without everything because they disobeyed. We need to pay attention to God. And you're going to see that clearly in this next chapter. I believe God would speak to you every day. I do. I believe God would speak to you. Now, He may do it in different forms. One day you may read something. Man, I was listening to the Word uh, in Genesis and Exodus and Hosea the first two days this week when I was in my truck. And man, a verse just, oh, I thought, man, that's you, God, just shooting that right in me. Sometimes I'm in prayer. I was in prayer one day. One of the days I heard something out of the Word. Another day this week I heard something that He spoke into my spirit. Because I was kind of fussing with God about something and um, trying to get him to see my way. <laughs> As if he didn't. And I said, I don't, and God's just, he speaks with so few words and just cuts asunder everything. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you, if you require that of me, these were my words, I said, there's not going to be nothing left of me. And he said, that's the idea. And it hit me. I went, I, my, immediately I went to John the Baptist. He must increase. I, my journey, your journey is about getting rid of you and me. And those little idiosyncrasies that we're proud about because we're this, that. He's trying to clean them all out. So that there's nothing in front of His, there's nothing in the way of His Holy Spirit to speak out of us, through us, and use us. My mother said one time, she said, years ago, we were going through the cafeteria lines, and uh, she put a spoon back on the counter because it had food on it. Then she gave me an object lesson when we got to the table. That was before I was married. She said, you see, uh, we wouldn't eat with that dirty spoon. And I said, yeah, I wouldn't do that either. She said, neither should we ask the Lord to. We shouldn't ask Him to use a dirty vessel. We should present ourselves acceptable. So God's got a way of getting to us. And you know what? I listened to a preacher. He was talking to a bunch of us preachers years ago. He was in his 70s. And he was telling us all the things God was doing in his life to get him more like him. And I'm like, I figured it was finished by then. <laughs> Why is God still working on you? <laughs> but that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Because he has to get... And I've noticed this because I've been pastor a long time. I've noticed little all the way up to the oldest folks I know, some close to 100. Fear tries to get in us in every phase of life, one way or another. He, the devil loves using fear. You know why? Because fear has torment, the Bible says. It's tormenting. So, the, the chapter 4, he says, uh, Afterward, let me back up. He said, Afterward, the children of Israel shall seek the Lord their God, and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in their latter days. Nathan's line kept coming, and Luke, Nathan's line's going to keep right on going. Came through Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, Think about America. Hear the, word of the, hear the word of the Lord, 
you children of America, Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land or this land we're standing in. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Now if you notice, we keep doing away with sin in this country. Right? We, we keep lessening sin. Things that were sin in God's eyes, we keep lessening and lessening and lessening. And we use words, the further we get along in this culture of ours, we use words that are not as penetrating. Right? God calls it adultery, we call it an affair. You just go right down, on and on and on. And, and that's what's happening in our culture. Now, do you notice no one in Washington, D.C. lies? Have you noticed that? They misspeak, I think. I mean, they make up words. I'm like, they just make up words as they go. Uh, oh, he misspoke. Or that's not what he meant. Or she, right? So lying is no longer real and once a part of our republic. And then he says, uh, there's no truth or mercy, knowledge of God in the land. Think about that as a whole, as a group. Not, I'm not talking about you necessarily. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery. That's what we do in this country as a, as a nation. They break all restraint. Look at this next line. With bloodshed upon bloodshed. Nowhere is that clearer than with abortion. One or after another. Is it 10,000 babies are aborted every hour in the world or every minute? I mean, it's astronomical. Is it half a million a day around the world, I think, of babies that are aborted? And we do our part here. Therefore, the land will mourn. And that's what happens. When God starts judging, the land starts turning on the people that live on it. Because if you remember in Chronicles, he said, If my people, who are called by my name, right, will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and, what did he say? Heal their land. The land's getting messed up. Because Paul in the New Testament says that even creation is groaning for redemption. It don't like this stuff either. Uh, then he says, and, and, and Balaam is a beautiful picture of that. You got a prophet riding a donkey. And, and I'm going to preach a message. My wife's kind of temperate. Who's the dumb donkey? Who's the real dumb donkey? He's riding the donkey. The donkey sees the angel. He don't see nothing. He's the prophet. And he don't even know where God's at. But creation. And this donkey's like, dude, I, I would love to be in there that day. I've been a good donkey, she told him. Why are you beating on me for? You're the dummy. <laughs> There's an angel up here with a sword getting ready to take your head off. I'm trying to save your neck. I love the Bible. He said the land will mourn. Everyone dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priests. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. 
My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, if you notice, and I was in this field, and I'm not against education, but it's not a God. We've made it a God. Some of our children would be better off to get a job with the railroad or UPS because some of them go to school and they come back nuts. I, you can ask my child. I told all three of them. I didn't, say, I didn't say you're going to college. I said, you pray and whatever God tells you to do. If He tells you to go to Louisville and get a job with UPS, that's probably as good a job as a lot of people going to get out of college anyway. I said, you need to do what the Lord asks you to do. Because education's not a God. And I don't say that because I'm against it. I've got a couple pieces of paper. But it's not a God. But I watched, well, when I was even in seminary, I watched guys lap up stuff that were younger than I and hadn't, spent, hadn't been able to spend as much time to work because I went to seminary after I'd been in ministry for like 15 or 16 years because I just loved to learn. But I watched these young guys soaking up stuff that had nothing to do with the Word. There are guys and gals in seminary that the only reason they're in the classroom is to promote their stuff full of eros. That's why Paul said, I can only send you guys Timothy because everybody else I can send seeks their own. That's all they do. They just want to do their thing. They just want to write their book. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And he says, uh, everything's going to be in tr- trouble in your land because you, look how he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He's talking about who he is. Not Listen, those women... In the coal camp where my great-grandparents lived, when World War II hit, they, most of them, including my own grandmothers, my great-grandmothers, both of them, and one of my grandmothers maybe, they couldn't read and they couldn't write. But they'd get on that mountain every day and pray the Holy Spirit down. And they watched their children one by one come home. They prayed God. I'd rather have a person that can't read or write that knows how to get a hold of the Holy Ghost than somebody thinks they're smarter than everybody else. We need... That's where the real power's at. The real power is in the knowledge of the Most Holy. That's where the real power's at. And so he said, I'm, everything's going to be in trouble. He said, y'all going to be in trouble. He said, uh, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. Look at that. He said, they, they, they destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you, in verse 6, from being, my, my, uh, being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And he's talking to the hierarchy, everybody. And then he says, the more they increase, this is us, this is America. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. And he says, I will change their glory into shame. And you know what happened to Israel. It's horrendous what happened when Rome came in and ransacked them. And it's horrendous what happened when Hitler did what he did to the Jews. Horrendous stuff. Stuff we can't even talk about happened to them in in an open form like this. Because they refuse the knowledge of the Most High. The more they, he said, the more they increase, the more they sin. I will change their glory to shame. They eat, up, they eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. So nobody's going to escape. For they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase. 
because they have ceased obeying the Lord. You know how much the birth rates went down in the world? It's, it's the, you ought to read the statistics and how they flow. And he says, they shall commit hardship but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. What was the problem? It wasn't that they didn't have enough money. It wasn't that they didn't have good insurance. What was the problem? The problem was they ceased obeying the Lord. That was the problem and it affected every facet of their life. Their health, their wealth, their land, their children, their priesthood. It affected it all. Because they quit obeying God. I love, and you all have heard me say this before, but the guy, I think he's going to be the Lord, but the one that had the largest church in the world, Cho, over and across the pond. They said, the first, I remember this guy saying this in one of the meetings I was in. He was actually in the car seat with him. And he was the speaker in this particular meeting. But he said, when they brought Cho over here to America, they asked him, you know, how Americans are. Give us two steps to have a church that has 100,000 people in it. Because <laughs> he had 100,000 people in that church. They said, how do you do that? How do you have a church that size? And he said, I pray and obey. Ha, 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 It really is that simple. I found that to be true in my life, too. It really is that simple. And then he says, <clears throat> they stop harlotry, wine, new wine, enslave the heart. See, they're, they're consumed with their stuff. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to strike. Now, sexual sin, addiction, all, there's demons behind all that. There's influences, demonic influences. Do you think the devils just sit around? They influence everything. They influence music. They influence... Every addiction, they try to influence all that. There is a battle going on. And for those people who only live in the physical realm as a Christian, you're missing it. You try to explain everything by the physical realm. He said, and I preached that through you, we don't fight flesh and blood. We war against things we cannot see. There's demons behind these false idols. It's demonic. He says, they offer sacrifices on the mountaintops. They played the harlot against God. Their spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. What? That spirit came in and caused them to stray. What was going on with Daniel? They was trying to block his prayers, right? Uh, Gabriel shows up and said, I've been here 21 days earlier, but I was fighting with the prince of Persia. Duking it out with him. Because he's trying to suppress this area and keep you down. And he said... Uh, he said, so they've done all this. The Spirit drew them away. They played the heart against God. Then they started offering sacrifices on the mountaintops, burn incense on the hills, under oaks, poplars, turbans, because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go apart with harlots. So he's holding the leader responsible. He's saying... You open the door for this to go on with the rest of your family. And when I do speak to men, and sometimes I say, you're the, you're the covering. You can move out of the way, and you may, and then here's how men are, right? Well, I, I, just deal with me, Satan, I, I'm, you know, and, and take some responsibility. It's my fault. You, that ain't how Satan plays. He just push you out of the way and say, I'm going upstairs to get your 13-year-old son. 
Thanks for letting me in, Dad. That's how that works. Now I'm going to go upstairs and get your 12-year-old daughter. Just get out of the way, Mom. Get out of the way, Dad. I, don't, I just needed you to let me in. I can do more damage to your life by getting your child than I can you. So the, he don't play fair. I don't know why we think the devil plays fair. <laughs> he don't. Uh, he says, uh, Ephraim, they, all these folks, he said, I will not punish your daughters, not punish your brides, because you've basically done this. He's blaming it on the, the leaders. And offer sacrifice of the ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. That's what happens. You, if you don't get the Word of God as the center of your home and everything then there'll be alternate views that start to creep in. And that's why you've got to get them grounded. If they do go away to school, and even the Christian schools aren't as Christian as they used to be most of the time, if they do go away to school, you want them to be grounded so that they can... Just because somebody has Ph.D. behind their name does not mean they know what they're talking about. If you don't have the knowledge of God, you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to run into a dead-end street. We've made things be so popular and esteemed that, we, that God's, got, God's what we should esteem. And I've said this for years. The most, most important journey your child or my child or grandchild is on, and you, of course, is your journey of faith. Not, not climbing the ladder in the workplace. That's all well and good, and God will do that. I've watched Him bless people. But your journey of faith, that's nothing more important. What if? Think about it in this context. Even when you're dealing with your children, what if someone gains the whole world and loses their soul? What profit is that? And then he says, he says, Though you, Israel, play the harlot, uh, let not Judah offend, nor, nor, uh, nor uh, do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives. For Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink, their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. His rulers deliver, uh, dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, they shall, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifice. So what happens after sin starts really getting hold of people, a person, people, a nation? It flips the whole thing. I used to think, I'm going to close there. I used to think that sexual immorality was the last straw before a nation was judged. But after studying Isaiah about 10 years ago extensively, I realized that's not the last. The last straw is idolatry. Because when you get in like the sexual immorality we have just in this land, when you get into that, your conscience works. Even if you're not a Christian, I believe you, we all have a conscience. Now, we can sear that conscience at some point, but, but that conscience is working against that evil. Saying, this is not right. This, you, you know, you, you shouldn't, you know. There's, unless you've just been possessed by a demon... If you're a 40-year-old man, you know you shouldn't be messing with a 10-year-old girl. I don't care if you're saved or not. But, so your conscience is there at work. Well, what happens is people get stooped in whatever it is, just whatever. And, and if they want to stay there, and we're going to talk about that next week. You know, if they want to stay there, then they need to find a God that's okay with it. 
that helps deaden the blow that what I'm doing don't feel so bad anymore, right? And then there's justification. So the idolatry, because idolatry brings in a switch of allegiance. It's not just flesh at work. There's a switch of allegiance. So when I, this is what Isaiah was fussing about Israel with. He said, you go cut an idol out of a tree, then you burn the residue of what's left in the tree, and then you bow down to that piece of wood, and even though you burnt the very substance that it was made out of, you have power over it, quote unquote. You come in front of that tree and you start saying, thank you for giving me bread. That's offensive. I mean, that is super offensive to give a piece of wood the credit for sustaining us. That's why idolatry is the last straw before God, especially with His people. And we've been His people as a nation. We, we know better. We know better. We know better. But when things turn, and usually it's when something close to us goes off the rails. And because we may love that person, we may have a temptation to start compromising. Say, well, maybe it ain't sin after all, right? I mean, that's the human nature. I mean, you can just look at, at the very president we have today who is pushing this abortion like ghostbusters. Ten years ago, I just watched the clip a couple of weeks. Ten years ago, he was adamantly against abortion. He done what Saul did. What did Saul say? Joe Biden knows it ain't right to kill babies. He knows that, or he should have. He used to have. What did Saul say when Samuel confronted him with what God's will was? He said, I, the people. So Saul was saying, I'd rather please the people. And that's where a lot of politicians have their greatest temptation, right? To please people rather than God. And that'll be your temptation. Because somebody, and I've already experienced this many times in my life. Somebody close to you is going to get involved in sin and start liking it and start saying it's okay and you're going to be having a challenge. You're going to, are you going to be the one? You don't have to, we, don't have, we can love people, you, but you've got to be the one voice that can't be moved off of truth. Because there's so few now that do stand with truth. And so the truth is where we stand no matter what. And doing God's will is essential to every facet of our lives. Not just our spiritual journey, but our health, our wealth, everything is affected or impacted by our spiritual life or the lack thereof. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word. And we see, like Paul said, that the things that were written aforetime are for our learning. The things that happened to Israel that you're speaking to all of us. And I see that, Lord. Here, we've studied Amos and now Hosea with things that are pictures of the, own, of the country we live in. And I, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you, no matter how far your people stray, you just right there reaching for them, trying to get them to turn and come back. You're so full of love and so full of mercy that when somebody gets judged, it, we know that it's the last straw because you are so long-suffering. And we all could testify to that. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in this age. The things of this age that are so fast and so convenient and so full of words that we don't hear You. Let us hear You. Let Your voice, and I pray this over myself, my own family, and every family in this church, everybody that listens to these podcasts and 
uh, and watches us on this channel, I pray this over every one of us. May your voice override every other voice in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. Amen.